take your Bible, go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 18 is where we're going to be tonight. Leave your Bible open because we're going to go through and establish some context as we get into the message uh, of what we're going to talk about tonight. I want you to pray with me. Father, would you please anoint, be pleased to show yourself real and strong, and teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite analogies or comparisons of Jesus in Scripture is to that of a shepherd. Uh, we even see that analogy going back in the Old Testament as God is seen as our shepherd in Psalm 23. Uh, he is referred to throughout the Old Testament as the shepherd of Israel. Uh, he's the one who watches and guards and guides and leads and feeds. And so when we carry that analogy over to the New Testament, it's obvious to us as we now who live on this side of the New Testament and this side of a completed Bible, this side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we know that Jesus is the personification of the Good Shepherd. He's the embodiment of the Good Shepherd. And so tonight I want you just to focus on some things this evening. Uh, uh, here in Matthew chapter 18, I want us to focus on the Good Shepherd. Here in Matthew 18... Uh, Jesus, uh, here, the, it says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, verse 1. In verse 2, Jesus called a little child unto him and set the little child in the midst of them. Uh, here in the context, uh, we notice the pride of the disciples. <laughs> their, their question, uh, his disciples came to Jesus asking, who is the greatest? Literally, who is the biggest? Who's going to be the largest, the larger one in the kingdom? And he, they're not talking about uh, physical size, obviously. They're talking about position. Who's going to have the biggest position? Who's going to have the biggest slot in your kingdom and the biggest prominence and the biggest popularity? and the most notoriety. Who's going to be the big shot? That's what they were asking. Who's going to be the boss? <laughs> who, who, who's going to be right up there under the king in your kingdom? A.T. Robertson said, it's a sad discovery to find the disciples chiefly concerned about their own place in a political kingdom, which they were expecting instead of a spiritual kingdom. So we see the pride in the disciples as it brackets and it introduces what Jesus is about to say. But then we not only see the pride in the disciples, we see the picture of the child that Jesus gives us here in verses 2 and 3. Notice what Jesus did. When the disciples were talking about, Lord, who is the greatest? Jesus calls over a child and, 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 and notice this, uh, he sets the child in the midst. So now everybody's gaze and attention is focused on the child. In verse 3, verily, truly, Jesus said, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children. 
unless you are changed and transformed in your thinking, Jesus said, and you become like this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, gang, let me say this. Those are strong words by the Lord Jesus. And he uses this picture of a child. Jesus calls a child forth and sets the child in verse 2 right in the middle of the room, in the middle of the group. One writer said that they were probably most likely in Simon Peter's house. Uh, we base this on Mark 9, verse 33, uh, and which is a, 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 a uh, parallel scripture to this one. Uh, and very likely it may even have been one of Simon Peter's own children. And, and the Bible says that, that he, in that text, that he took him up in his arms. So Jesus takes this child, uh, which by the way, Jesus receiving this child, uh, Philip Doddridge said as a token of Jesus' tenderness and his regard for people and children. Uh, Spurgeon said, an evidence of a sweetness of manner on the part of our Lord that Jesus uses this child as a visual illustration to emphasize the need and nature of humility in true spiritual greatness. So in verse 3, he used a child to illustrate someone, I love this, who was free from certain prejudices. One writer said that Jesus was in essence saying, uh, instead of wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you better be focused on whether or not you're going to get to the kingdom at all. <laughs> and that's why he said, unless you become like this little child, you're not going to see the kingdom. Unless you're converted and become like this child and have the heart of a child. Jesus said that they literally uh, had to turn their thinking around. Be converted. We would, there's another term we use, and it's in the context of this, it's repentance, which means to change our minds, uh, which is a conversion of the mind. Uh, we need to convert, we need to change how we think about this situation, or about this truth, or this idea of greatness compared to humility and lowliness of mind and tenderness of heart. So then we see, in verses 4 through 10, we see the principles for the followers. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Well, He gives a fourfold instruction. He says, first of all, stay humble, be teachable, like these little ones. In verse 4, He uses the word, says, humble yourself. Uh, Therefore, whosoever shall humble themselves, humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom. Literally, the word humble there means to depress or to make less, to make little. Jesus said you, you, have, you have to intentionally choose to depress, to make less of yourself as one of these little ones. When I read this phrase in Scripture and understand this truth, in my mind I think of, of the deflation of a balloon. <laughs> you ever blown up a balloon and man, I mean, you hadn't tied it yet, but you've blown the balloon up and it's huge, filled with air, and then all of a sudden you let go of the stem and it's, the air just blows right out of it and it falls to the ground. 
You walk over and pick up this empty, deflated balloon, and there's nothing to it. And Jesus said, that's, that's what I want you to do to your ego. That's, that's, that's what I want you to do to you, 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 your spirit. I want, you to, I want you to realize that the true way to greatness is to become nothing. Let the air out of your balloon, is what he's saying. A.T. Robertson says, to humble oneself is the most difficult thing a sinner or even a saint can do. So Jesus says, you stay humble. And teachable. But then he says, verse 5, you receive these little ones. Now, this is all an introduction. This is all in the context. We're going somewhere with this. He says, I want you to receive the little ones. Uh, notice verse 5, but whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name, they receive me. So Jesus says, what I'm trying to teach you here, disciples, is if you want to be great, you humble yourself. If you want to be great, then receive one of the little ones. And then verse 6, notice this. He says, don't ever offend these little ones. In verse 6, he says, but whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Wherefore, if your hand or your foot offends you, cut it off, cast them forth from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And Jesus says here in verse 6, uh, be careful never to offend one of these little ones. In other words, uh, don't do anything to cause them to be tripped up. In verses 7, 8, and 9, he talks about the seriousness and consequences of offending or tripping or hurting one of the little ones. So here's, here's where we come to our text. I want you to notice with me verse 10. Take heed, Jesus said, that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to seek that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth unto the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if it be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. You say, preacher, I thought you were saying <clears throat> at the beginning that we're going to focus on the good shepherd. Well, we are. And I want us to focus on the good shepherd. And so there are three things, three truths that we glean from this passage here. Notice with me, first of all, what I call proper evaluation. But when I focus on the Good Shepherd, I see proper evaluation. Uh, how much is the human soul worth? 
Well, he says here in verse 10, uh, take heed that you don't despise one of these little ones. He says, for in heaven the angels of these little ones behold the face of the Father in heaven. Be careful not to despise. Let's walk through that word. It literally means to treat as no real significant loss. To disesteem. Don't disesteem these little ones. Jesus said the angels of God are assigned to these little ones of those who in heaven behold God's face. They are assigned to these insignificant ones just as the angels are assigned to the rest of the believers. You see, the importance of these little ones doesn't diminish simply because they are little ones. Each individual little one's importance in the eyes of the Father is just as strong as it is for anyone else, regardless of size, stature, status, significance. You say, Brother Christian, is he just talking about children? I don't believe he is. I believe that the idea of the insignificant ones can be applied across the board, not just to children, but to those in our society that we consider insignificant. Those that different from us, those that we are unfamiliar with, those that we really don't know, out of sight, out of mind, those that we say live on the other side of the tracks. Maybe those of a different race or ethnicity. Maybe those that are, that, that, that have a, a different socioeconomic standard. Those that, man, when we're walking around Walmart or wherever else or out in, in society, out in culture, we look at them and almost, we may not make a face, but inwardly we do and we, we almost turn up our nose at them and we, we, we consider ourselves, well, I'm a little more cultured or I'm better than that. Uh, I wouldn't act like that. I wouldn't talk like that. I wouldn't live like that. And we, we disesteem them and we consider them insignificant. We do it all the time. Inwardly, at least we do. We compare ourselves with one another. And I love what Jesus said in verse 14. He said, even so, it's not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these insignificant ones, these little ones, should perish. (laughs) Not one. It's not His will. It's not His plan. The will and plan of God is now revealed as the same for the little ones that they be sought after for rescue, for repentance, for restoration. And I love what Jesus is showing us here. So He talks about the proper evaluation. Let me ask you this. Can you really put a price tag on the soul? I don't believe you can. And Jesus said that one soul is worth more than the whole world. If a man gain the world and lose his soul, what does he have? He has nothing. One soul is of inestimable value in the eyes of God. And one of the things, if we're going to focus on the Good Shepherd, and we're going to have the heart of the Good Shepherd like our Good Shepherd does, we must, dear one, we must embrace this proper evaluation that the Lord Jesus, here it is, places on every single soul. Right here. At our church. Is every soul important to you? 
here in our community, right here on West Grantham Street, is every soul important to you? Within a five-mile, ten-mile radius of our church building, church property, is every single soul valuable to you? Do you see every soul worth evangelizing? Or are there some souls because of the earthly tabernacle that, 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 that they're uh, encased in? Do you deem some souls less worthy of the gospel, less worthy of love, less worthy of acceptance, less worthy of going after and pursuing for Christ? Jesus said, no. The little ones, the insignificant ones that in this culture the Jews wanted to snub the kids. In our culture, it's not just the kids. In our culture, it's a lot of different ones. It's those with special needs sometimes. We see them as less significant do you know, and, 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 and I've shared this with you before, but do you know, dear friend, that 90% of the families and parents with special needs children are unchurched and unreached with the gospel in America? In, in America, 9 out of 10 special needs family are not connected, not a part of a local church anywhere. And so... Some of us watching, listening, we say, well, why is that? Well, if you've ever had a special needs child, you understand a little bit about why that is. Very few churches have even a heart or the patience or a ministry geared for special needs children. Most people don't think that's significant ministry. They don't think it's important enough. And so parents find it a struggle at times to be able to keep up and to meet the demands of all that it requires and takes to get have a special needs child in church. It's tough. It's rough. My hat is off to you. Uh, I, we have some dear ones in our church family who every single service, every single service, they navigate the same thing. And it's difficult. It's extra, extra, extra work that some of us will never see, never see behind the scenes. We don't even understand how much it takes to get that dear one here in our building, on our property. And I simply say all that to say to you, dear friend, this message is not necessarily about a special needs ministry, but I'll say this. It is about a ministry to every single person. It is about raising and elevating our understanding of the significance of every soul and putting that proper evaluation that Jesus gave. He valued every single soul. Every soul around this world is a soul that is imprinted and etched and stamped with the image of God. We call it the Imago Dei. They are an image bearer of their Creator. And they have a Jesus-sized, Jesus-shaped hole in their soul. Only He can fill it. Every one of us. 
every single person, and even those we don't know and don't even care about knowing. Jesus said, these are the little ones. I want you, my followers, my children, my disciples, if you're going to even begin to understand what it is to be a part of my kingdom, then I want you to begin to put the proper value on these little ones. We're going to stop right there. And we'll continue this next week on Sunday night. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, as we continue through this, I pray this week you would help us to look right here in front of our own faces, right here in our own mission field, our own Jerusalem, right here in our own county, in our own city, those that others would disesteem. Lord, please help us to realize the value of their souls. And we'll give you praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.